This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13 verses 1 through to 5 looking at a call to repentance a call to repentance In last Sunday's visit to Luke's Gospel we looked at chapter 12 the last verses of chapter 12 verses 54 through to 59 and we considered the hypocrisy of rejecting Jesus despite the overwhelming evidence that he is the Christ that he is the son of the living God people reject him and that is hypocrisy that was the sin of the religious leaders and of the Jewish people as a nation when Jesus was in the world and it continues to be the case across the length and the breadth of the world. Hypocrisy. Maybe some hypocrisy in here today. I don't know. When you think of the Jews of old, the scribes and Pharisees were hypocrites in that they put on a show of being godly men, but their hearts were filled with wickedness. They looked so, so religious on the outside. Men of God, but inside they were full of wickedness, full of hypocrisy. They were play actors. They weren't being true to themselves, putting on an act. They and the Jews as a whole rejected the righteousness that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they sought to establish their own righteousness before God through works of the law despite being sinners like the rest of us. For we have all sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no not one. In the last two verses of chapter 12, I made it personal to us in here. In the last two verses of chapter 12, Jesus highlights the importance of you being reconciled to whoever has a grievance against you, lest that person take you to the authorities and to the court and you end up being found guilty and assigned a place in prison until such time that your debt is paid in full. Any sane person will readily agree that seeking reconciliation and settling the debt that he owes before the dispute, the dispute reaches court with inevitably severe consequences is the best way forward to seek reconciliation before you end up in prison. Any sane person would think that. The thing is that there are most likely people in here today who are not sane. If you have not shown repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus took upon himself the debt of your sin, a sin, a a debt rather, that you can never repay, then you are most certainly not of a sound mind. 
In fact, you are heading for judgment and everlasting punishment in that prison called hellfire. The importance of dropping the pretense of being a good person, the urgent necessity of acknowledging your sin and of accepting and confessing your need to be covered with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and not your own filthy rags of righteousness, self-righteousness, continues to be our consideration today. Let's look at our passage, chapter 13 of Luke's Gospel, and I'm going to read the first five verses. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. The season that is spoken of in verse 1 refers to the period of time in which The Lord Jesus Christ taught an innumerable number of people. The details of it are given to us in chapter 12. And we've considered chapter 12 in quite some detail. What can be seen in our passage today in chapter 13 and verse 1 would appear to be the third time that Jesus had been interrupted. The first time being when Jesus had just been talking about weighty matters such as the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against God the Holy Spirit and in chapter 12 and verse 13 one of the company said unto him Master speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Do you remember that? Do you remember me talking about that? Jesus speaking about the unforgivable sin. And all this man had was, um, he didn't want his brother keeping all the inheritance, earthly inheritance. It certainly seems as if the things of eternal importance that were spoken by Jesus had gone in one ear of that person and out the other. He wasn't listening too interested in his earthly inheritance to think about the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against God, the Holy Spirit. Seems crazy, doesn't it? That man wasn't sane. Sinfully crazy. And again, perhaps that's someone in here today. Too busy thinking about the things of this world. 
Then in chapter 12 and verse 41, Peter desired to know if the urgings and the warnings of the Lord Jesus Christ were being directed towards everyone or just towards the disciples. That's a fair one, isn't it? But that was the second interruption. It came from Peter. You kind of expect Peter to 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 jump in with something or other. <clears throat> And in today's passage, we see in chapter 13 and verse 1 that there were those who told Jesus about certain Galileans whose blood the Roman governor Pontius Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, I was going off in a tangent a little bit when I read verse 1 and the first thing that struck me about it is the cruelty and the wickedness of Pontius Pilate that he should have given orders to slaughter people at a time when they were offering sacrifices, presumably in the temple in Jerusalem. It is thought by various Bible scholars that that was a cause of enmity or hostility between Pilate and between King Herod, between Pilate and Herod. Whether or not that was the reason or one of the reasons for the unfriendliness most certainly did exist between them, they nevertheless buried the hatchet and became friends later when Jesus was passed to and fro between them after he'd been arrested the night before he was crucified. For example, according to chapter 23 and verse 12, Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were enmity between themselves. Also, it can be seen in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27 that the apostles lifted up their voice to God and said, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Clearly, that those two men buried their differences at the time that Jesus was arrested and they did so in order to take counsel against the Lord and against his Christ. Coming back to Luke chapter 13 and verse 1, the scriptures are silent about why it was that Pilate mingled the blood of those Galileans with the blood of those sacrifices of their sacrifices. We don't see anything else in the scripture about that. Jesus didn't go into it either. Instead, he said, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. Clearly, Jesus, who knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, was was able to see that those people who brought the report to him, had deduced or concluded that the Galileans had been particularly sinful in order to have incurred the the wrath and the judgment of God at the hands of Pilate and Pilate's soldiers. They must have been sinners above everyone else in order to suffer and to die in such a way, having their blood mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. But also Jesus 
didn't say anything to rule out the possibility that the Galileans had suffered such a fate because of sin. He wasn't saying one way or another. After all, rulers, even wicked rulers like Pilate, are ordained or appointed by God. And according to the Apostle Paul, a ruler is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God. And that would have included Pilate, that wicked man Pilate, a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. God appoints our leaders, our rulers, and they they, they bear the sword. Note that Paul didn't say that rulers bear a feather duster or a tickling stick. They bear the sword. More the pity that there no longer is capital punishment in our land for sins such as murder. Perhaps God was not pleased with the sacrifice of those Galileans. In the Old Testament, two priests, they were the sons of the very first high priest, uh, Aaron. Anyway, these two priests, Nadab and Abihu, they died when they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. That's got to be a warning to us, isn't it? And a lesson for us to worship God in a way that is pleasing to him. Those two men were killed on the spot when they they offered strange fire before the Lord. And the Lord, the fire of the the fire went out from the, the Lord and devoured them. And in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, they sold a possession and they laid the proceeds of the sale at the feet of the apostles under the pretense that they had um, given all of the proceeds of the sale. They didn't have to give all the proceeds of the sale, but they pretended that that is what they were doing. Ananias is said to have lied, not so much to the apostles, but to God the Holy Spirit. Consequently, the worship of Ananias and Sapphira, seen in that given giving, was unacceptable to God. It amounted to a deception, it was a sham, and they both experienced sudden death. That said, we needn't imagine that everyone who suddenly drops down dead or who perhaps dies before reaching three score years and ten or who dies in some catastrophic way at the hands of men or is perhaps struck by lightning has died as a direct consequence of sins committed by them. doesn't always have to be that way if you die suddenly in some catastrophic way, or you die at a young age, it is because you have sinned above and beyond everyone else. For example, take Stephen. 
in Acts chapter 7. He was stoned to death. Why was he stoned to death? What terrible thing had he done? He was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. And when that happened, he called upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then there was the Apostle James. Herod the king killed him with the sword at a time when the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Come to think of it, most of the apostles were martyred and throughout history many other godly people have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they held. On the flip side, There have no doubt been many wicked people over the course of history who have not been slain suddenly and in some terrible way. Many very wicked people who have lived a long life and perhaps even died in their sleep despite having committed the most unspeakable atrocities. I for one am not in the business of saying Who has died in some catastrophic way because of their sin? You hear people doing that, don't you? That person has been judged by God. And that's why they've died like that. And I'm thinking, says who? How do you know that to be the case? As Spurgeon said, It is true, the wicked man sometimes falls dead in the street, but has not the minister fallen dead in the pulpit? It is true that a pleasure boat in which men were seeking their own pleasure on the Sunday has suddenly gone down. But is it not equally true that a ship which contained none but godly men who were bound upon an excursion to preach the gospel has gone down too. We can't tell. We can't see into the heart. And it's not for us to pry into these things. We know that Ananias and Sapphira were struck down dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because the word of God tells us. We know that Nadab and Abihu, the Old Testament priests, they were consumed by the fire of the Lord because they offered a strange fire in sacrifice. We know that because the word of God tells us that. But beyond what the word of God tells us, we shouldn't, we shouldn't play guessing games and we shouldn't make such bold statements that so and so has been struck down dead because of his sins against God. I, for one, am not prepared to do that. In verse 4, Jesus mentioned the tower in Siloam, which fell, killing 18 people. Read verse 4 there. Those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? As with the death of the Galileans, whose blood was mingled with their sacrifices, no further details are given, such as the magnitude of their sins. 
and whether or not they were put to death by God as a consequence of their sins. God using the agency of a tower and making that tower fall upon them. We're not told. Once again, Jesus did not enter into a discussion about the sins of those people who died. As before, Jesus simply called on the people to repent, saying, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That doesn't mean that a catastrophic death can be avoided if you repent. As I've already pointed out, more than a few godly men have died in tragic circumstances despite their lives being marked by continual repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their Saviour. When Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish, what Jesus was doing was warning his hearers about the uncertainty and the brevity of life. And he was highlighting the utmost importance and the urgency of showing repentance towards God so as not to be swept away by death while while in an impenitent state and thus perishing forever. In other words, Jesus was saying, don't delay. Today might be your last day. Repent. The attitude of those people who came to Jesus is one that I'm sure we can all relate to. And that is because we all have been there. We're all guilty of wearing that same badge of hypocrisy as people who imagine ourselves to be better than various nasty, horrible people who have perhaps been justly executed or serve some right that they suffered death in such a terrible, terrible way because they were such wicked, terrible, horrible people. And we think of them as the chief of sinners. When really we should have the same attitude as the Apostle Paul, who considered himself to be the chief of sinners. Not others, but himself. The takeaway from this short passage that we're looking at is very simple, but it's profoundly important. You don't know when you will die. Death might come suddenly. It might even come to you today. You really don't know. And I'm not just talking to the oldies in here. To all of you. Therefore repent while you still have breath in you and be reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that when Pontius Pilate and the high priest and Herod and others gathered together and when Jesus was taken and by wicked hands was crucified and put to death, he was delivered to those wicked men by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, who laid upon his only begotten Son your sin. This is what you have to believe, that the Lord Jesus Christ was put to death on that cross, bearing the debt of your sin, that you can never repay.
on the strength of what is written in today's passage of scripture and also many other passages. The message is repent, believe and be baptised. Calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for everlasting life. And don't delay. Tomorrow may be too late. Then, like others in here who have done precisely that, others in here who have shown repentance towards God, instead of making conjectures about why others have died so tragically, so suddenly, others who have looked inwardly, seen the condition of their own heart, cried out to God for mercy and forgiveness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do likewise, you too will have every reason to echo the words of the Apostle Paul, who triumphantly said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, that could be, that could be being killed by the sword, being stoned to death, even having a tower fall on you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Praise be to God. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, in other words, anything, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How wonderful is that? Boy, that is good, isn't it? If you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can either kid yourself that if you were to die today, you would be annihilated and that would be the end of the matter. It'd just be lights out, you're dead, that's the end of it. Or else you might hope that you will live forever. I don't know. Maybe live forever in this world. You know that that's not going to happen. Or you might live forever on a cloud somewhere, as, a, as an angel, or, or I don't know what stupid thoughts might be going through your mind, if you are an unrepentant sinner. Not, those things aren't going to happen though, none of those things are going to happen, things are very different for those who are in Christ though, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ, then what did he say? And to die is gain. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present from with the Lord. How about that? You'll know if you're sane or insane. Are you able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? 
Are you able to say, we are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord? Can you say those things? Not if you haven't shown repentance towards God. Not if you are not trusting in Jesus for your acceptance before a holy and righteous God. I'll finish with the testimony of King David, who despite knowing a thing or two about some grievous sins in his own life, he was nevertheless able to confidently say the following words, as a repentant sinner who was trusting in the promised saviour, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And he went on to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. My cup overflows with the grace of God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.